1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless adultery. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God, varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be, belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as, to, as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or a, or a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to be a faithful to a faithful creator while doing good. It's already on. Good morning. Thank you, Betty, for reading. 
I had the privilege recently of visiting my brother in Southern California. And while I was out there, he took me surfing one day, and I've never actually been surfing before. And the waves were really big, six to seven feet tall. And he told me, as we pulled up to the beach and we were getting ready, getting on our wetsuits, he says, once you're out in the water, on your board, you're really gonna love it. It's relaxing and beautiful, but you have to get out past these seven foot waves. He proceeded to give me some advice about what to do with the surfboard and how to do certain techniques, but then also told me it's gonna be difficult and it's gonna hurt. And it was, it was very difficult. And I have a little bit more respect for surfers now. But there are certain ways in which this chapter, it's a longer chapter, there's certain ways in which this chapter is very similar to the principle that my brother told me, where he prepared me beforehand that it was going to be very difficult. As a Christian, it's worth it. There is glory at the end, but on the way there, we can get clobbered by waves of suffering and persecution. And Peter's going to say, brace for impact, prepare your minds, and don't be surprised. Last week, Nathan um, started, he finished up chapter three. Today, we're going to be in chapter four. Nathan began uh, the topic of suffering. This week, we'll be looking at all of chapter four and continuing that theme. We're going to see two things arise from this chapter. It is the topic of suffering, and it's the topic of loving one another. It's important for us to remember the original recipients of this letter were suffering. They were under a degree of persecution. They were facing negative consequences for following after Christ. This chapter begins in verses 1 through 6 by telling us suffering is normative, so we should prepare for it. Suffering is normative, so we should, as Christians, prepare for it. Look at verse 1. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Whenever you're going to see in the flesh, it can also be translated as in the body. So since Christ has suffered in the body, what is being referenced here is really important. It's chapter 3, verse 18. If you have your Bible right in front of you, just move your eyes up a little bit. It's chapter 3, verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The death that Christ bore on the cross. Since that happened, so Peter is saying, since that happened, that is our example. That's the principle. That's the principle there, is that Christ has died on the cross. He's then going to go on to say, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The same way of thinking that Christ went to the cross and died in his body, we should align ourselves with the mindset that we are willing to obey God even to the point of death. One commentator is going to summarize this much better than I'm trying to do right now. One commentator says, since, and, um, since Christ's suffering is the pathway to glory. It's the pathway to glory. It's the pathway to sitting at the right hand of God 
with angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. Since suffering is the pathway to that glory, believers, us, should also prepare themselves to suffer. Knowing that suffering is the prelude to an eschatological reward, meaning, meaning it is the, the, at, all, at the end of all time, it's the reward of eternal life and being with God that we get to receive. Just as Christ had to suffer to the pathway of glory, Peter is telling us, prepare yourselves with the same mindset that it will be similar to us. The arm yourself language is actually, it has a military connotation with it. Every like translation you look at, you'll see arm yourself, arm yourself, arm yourself, because it's so clearly translated with a military connotation of like, hey, we're going to war. What weapons are you grabbing? So Peter's like, hey, it's going to be difficult. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking that just as Christ suffered, so will we. This is a component of the gospel that we can't miss. It's a component of the good news that we can't look over. The good news, we are all aware of it, that all of us, without exception, were born sinners, destined to hell. But we can obtain righteousness, we can obtain eternal life through faith and repentance in Christ's finished work. So we all, we all know that, we all grasp that, but this then creates in us a love and a loyalty to being willing to suffer for Christ. We are willing to obey God, even if it goes negatively for us. It's better for us to suffer physically than to capitulate and follow the desires of the flesh. And friend, or anyone, who, if this is unclear, and if you're like, I'm not making that connection of eternal life and being willing to suffer, I do mean this. Any, there'd be Evan or me or any other pastoral staff or anyone that brought you be willing to make that connection clearer for you after the service because that is important for us to remember as a component of the gospel that suffering may come. God goes on to say here, he says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Whoever suffered in the body has ceased from sin. This is not a, it doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore. It's meant to convey that we have ceased from being under the dominion of sin. We have ceased from being under the power and rule of sin in our lives. It's confirmation that we are a Christian, that we're willing to suffer for our faith. Verses two through five show us as a result, so as to live, as a result, when we choose to suffer in this way for our faith, as a result, these things happen. You no longer live for human passions and desires. We no longer live just trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh and the five senses that we have. There's no more lawless living. There's no more orgies or drinking parties, etc. We don't just live for our carnal desires and our emotions, but now for the will of God. We now live for the will of God. Everything God says in his word, that's what's orienting us. That's what's moving us. We're living for the will of God. So it's interesting too, he says it's in the past that we live for those things. And then in verse five, he says we live in the past for those things because in verse five, he says in the future, we know we're gonna stand before God. So he has this mindset of like, those, those sinful things are in the past for us. Look ahead to the day that we're all gonna stand before our, our creator and maker. 
Verse 6 can sound a little confusing. It is a little confusing. It's more difficult to grasp in the ESV. The NIV makes it a little bit easier for us to understand what is being said. The NIV says for verse 6, For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Not a ton easier to understand, but (laughs) a little bit. What's being talked about here is Christians who have died. Okay, so they were a Christian, they believed in Christ, they believed the gospel, they have passed away. And what was happening was that unbelievers were saying to the Christians who are now living, look, those Christians died just like the rest of us, thus the gospel is void. Look, you die just like other people do. And what Peter is saying is, though from a human standard they are dead, and there's no difference, from God's perspective, they're alive in the spirit. It's an argument to say, though they've died in the body, they're alive in the spirit, and the fact that you will stand before God still stands. In many ways, the verses that we've just read, verses one through six, the verses that we've just looked at, verses one through six, the idea that suffering is normative and we should prepare for it, it may feel a little bit disconnected from this room. But it's important for us to remember that we, Ogletown, 21st century in America, we are the exception to what brothers and sisters have experienced all over the world and mostly throughout human history. Where brothers and sisters, when they choose, I'm going to follow God's will and I'm not going to do the desires of the flesh, they're choosing a death in the body they're choosing a death sentence for themselves. For example, a global Christian ministry commenting in today's 2023, commenting on the country of Nigeria says, almost every day we receive a report of an attack or a kidnapping in Nigeria. The violence against Christians has become so frequent, so widespread, that on average, every two hours, a Nigerian is murdered for their faith. In 2022, a 19-year-old college student, Deborah Samuel, refused to take down a chat post where she said Jesus had helped her pass her grades, and a mob of her classmates killed her for that. Or in northern India, Christians living in India's most populous state, they regularly receive violent acts of persecution. A group of mothers and women prayed before dinner and sang a worship song at their seven-year-old birthday party, and for doing so, they all received one month in prison. I could share, and we all, I'm very well aware, we could all share many stories like this, where Christians around the world are willing to obey Christ instead of capitulating to the desires of those around them. And why I share those two brief stories is not to be provocative, but to remind us that there's no two tiers of Christians. There's not, well, those are those Christians, and they're willing to, like, be martyrs for Christ, and they're willing to, like, do those things, but, like, that's not me. No, no, no. This is what Jesus has called every Christian to. In Luke 
Jesus' words are, Luke 14, he tells us, whoever does not bear his own cross, like the cross is an execution device. It's what people died on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, they can't be my disciple. They can't be a Christian. So I think for us, what would be good, what would be helpful, where, where does this, how this could sink in deeper for us, take time, I've done so, it's a little bit as well already, take time this week to think through ways that you, that we, may feel pressured to shy away from Christ because we may get negative consequences. Think of the ways with your family that it might be very difficult for you to say truthful, hard things. Or in your classroom, or when you're with a group of friends and it's just like, oh, this is going to be weird and I don't want to face the negative consequences to tell the truth or to act righteously. I think of my coworkers and when I go out to lunch with them and how hard it is sometimes to pray to take a moment and say, oh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to thank the Lord for this food because I'm a Christian and I'm going to do that. Even just the small negative consequences that we feel, think through the ways that you are tempted to shy away from being bold about Christ because you don't want to face the negative consequences. And just as, um, and just as Wayne so perfectly was praying earlier, think through those ways and know that the Lord will meet you. He'll meet you where you are. Think through ways that we are shying away from being bold for Christ and ask the Lord, forgive me, Lord. Help me to arm myself with the way of thinking that, hey, I'm going to suffer. It's suffering is ahead of me, so arm myself, Lord. Help me to do this. Um, help me to do this for you. And help me to remember that suffering may come now, but glory comes later. There is uh, two sections that we're going to look at today. Verses 1 through 6 really highlight that idea that suffering is normative. We should prepare for it. And then there's also verses 12 through 19 also continue this discussion on suffering. Uh, verses 12 through 19 give us practical instructions on suffering. He's going to He's going to, last week, Nathan was able to provide us with quite a few, like, hey, when you find yourself suffering as a Christian, remember these things. It's kind of going to be some more here. When you find yourself suffering as a Christian, let's grab onto these things as good reminders. First, he tells us in verse 12, don't be surprised. We, as Christians, we should not be surprised if we find ourselves suffering or under persecution for believing in Jesus Christ. I just read Luke 14 earlier. He tells us, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. We're actually going to finish reading that. In verses 28 through 33 of Luke 14, Jesus tells us up front, count the cost of following me. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower, he's going to build an analogy here. He's going to say, if you're trying to build a tower, don't you first sit down and count how much the tower is going to cost? 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build it and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying up front, instead of like, he's not given like the glory up front. He's given on the up front of if you want to be my disciple, first off, realize what you're signing up for. And I'm telling you the terms fully up front. You have to renounce everything you own to come and follow after me. He's like the opposite of a salesman. He's like, hey, here's all the hidden charges you're going to get. Here's everything that's going to happen if you want to come and do this. He, and he is telling us we must renounce him. That's why Peter's then going to say, this is why we shouldn't be surprised. Because our Lord and Savior back in the Gospels told us, like, it's not going to be an easy road. It's going to be a road of suffering. He's calling us to bear a cross and renounce all that we have. And so Peter is telling us, don't be surprised if we find ourselves in a place of suffering. Secondly, Peter in verse 15 tells us, hey, don't, if you're suffering, I really hope you're not suffering for doing wrong. I really hope you're not suffering for doing something sinful. So this is actually the third time Peter has referenced this. The other times were in chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's telling us, if you find yourself suffering or in a bad situation for doing something sinful, you're getting no commendation from God, no praise from God. If you get a DUI and then like lose your license, like, hey, you're not getting commendation from God. If you're mean to your wife and or sinful towards your wife and things aren't going well, no commendation. If you cheat on a test or get caught or if you're lazy at work and get fired, Peter's saying like, hey, let's not confuse this here. Like if you sin and reap the consequences, that's not what we're talking about. What Peter's talking about is that if you suffer as a Christian for doing right, that's where there's commendation from God. Thirdly, um, Peter tells us that God is concerned mostly and first with disciplining his children. These are the tricky verses right at the end of the chapter. Verses 17 and 18, um, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. The principle here is this, that God is concerned first with his children. What Peter is actually picking up on is Old Testament imagery and stories that if you care to read are found in Ezekiel 9, Malachi 3 and Isaiah 10. So in the Old Testament, when God is coming to judge, he starts at the temple. It's very interesting. Like, he's going to come and judge. He's like, the Levites are going down first because I'm going to start with my temple first. Or um, in Isaiah 10, he's like, I'm going to bring judgment on the land and I'm going to start in Israel and then I'll go over to Assyria. It's kind of like a parent who catches their children, maybe with some other kids, doing something bad. The parent is first concerned with their children. And it's like, well, I'll deal with the other kids later, but I am first concerned with my children. And so God, we see here, is more concerned on this side of eternity with purifying his children. He's concerned with making sure his children are pure and righteous. And he often uses 
trials and suffering to do that in us. There will be a day that he deals with non-Christians, but he's telling us first, suffering is here in our lives because we are children of God and he's purifying us. Finally, this is, I think, so important on this um, section of suffering here in verses 12 to 19. Littered throughout verses 12 to 19 are the words rejoice, are the words you're blessed, are the words don't be ashamed. And so what Peter, if you remember nothing else, what Peter is trying to impress on our heart is, is if you find yourself suffering as a Christian, rejoice. You are blessed. Verse 13, and one of the reasons, let's look at verse 13 together. This is really good. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, and here's the link, that you may also share when his glory is revealed. So what Peter um, Peter is doing, he's creating a link. If you're sharing with Christ's sufferings now, it's confirmation that your loyal and allegiance is to him, so that when he returns in glory one day, he's going to say, there's my child. Today is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. The Eagles are playing. And there are two kinds of fans of the Eagles. There are bandwagon fans. I am a self-proclaimed bandwagon fan. (laughs) I may have gotten maybe eight games in this season. And of those eight games, I may have watched one through to through. You know, I catch parts of them, especially if they start losing. I'm like, why am I watching the rest of this? <laughs> so there are fans who are bandwagon, who just, once the game starts not going well, they stop watching. You know, we may have been fans for a couple months, maybe a couple years. If they're not doing good one year, it's like, why would I watch them? But then there's a different kind of fan. And these fans are real fans of the Eagles. These are fans that have supported the Eagles for years and years, win or loss, thick and thin. They're committed to them. These fans have been loyal to Eagles even when they aren't doing well. And when the Eagles, Lord willing, or hopefully not Lord willing, hopefully when they win, um, they'll be very happy tomorrow and for the rest of the week. Believers, believers, us, we can rejoice now because when Christ actually returns, he will say, these are my true followers, my true fans. These are the ones who were with me through thick and thin. Christ is going to return, and it's not going to be in weakness, but it'll be in power and in glory, and he will sift through those who proclaim to follow him. I don't have this up on the slide, but in Matthew, Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But those who deny me before men, I will also deny. So acknowledgement, even when it's difficult, loyalty and allegiance to Christ, even when it's difficult, will have Jesus say, hey, I acknowledge that person. They did not deny me. They stayed loyal to me, even when it cost them. Even when it had them suffering, they were loyal to me. So those who have suffered for him, those who have remained loyal, have kept their allegiance to Christ, even in tough times, will be glorified with him one day. And that's why Peter says rejoice. He's saying like, you can rejoice because if you're suffering for Christ, it means one day in the future, you'll be glorified with him. 
Verse 14 tells us, are you insulted for Christ? You are blessed. So the previous one of rejoicing has a future-oriented rejoice now because don't worry, in the future you will be glorified. Verse 14 has what we can experience now. Verse 14 saying, are you insulted for the name of Christ? You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It has this now aspect. It has the you now can experience the Holy Spirit. And I love the word, the spirit of glory, meaning the weightiness of the Holy Spirit we can be filled with now. So we find in this section that when we suffer as a Christian, we suffer for Christ, we should rejoice because we share in the sufferings of Christ and experience the Holy Spirit now. As we wrap up this topic of suffering, we've seen that God is calling us to be prepared He's telling us, arm yourselves with the same mindset that Christ had, that he was willing to obey even to the point of death, even if it includes suffering. And we've also seen that rejoicing, blessing, and glory can be associated with suffering because we share in Christ's sufferings. The second theme that we see in this chapter is if you'll look at verses 7 through 11 with me. Verses 7 through 11 is going to highlight this theme of living like the end is near. Living our life like the end is near. Peter now switches and speaks about how we should treat one another. And he's going to say, in view of the end being near, here is what you should do. These are really practical commands that we can try to obey. The end of all things, um, right there in verse 7, says the end of all things is at hand. That is meant to convey in our hearts a, an, an earnestness and uh, a readiness for Christ's return. We're not supposed to presume that Christ is far off. We're not supposed to presume, no, Christ isn't coming back for years and years and years and years. No, it's meant to convey like Christ can return at any moment. And the first thing he tells us is be self-controlled and sober-minded. The end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. And this is to oppose, and, and this should drive us to prayer. This is opposed to slothfulness or drunkenness. This is opposed to um, drunkenness or sexual sins or lust and passions. Those things are not going to draw us to prayer. Those things are going to hinder our prayers. So he's saying be self-controlled sober-minded. And this is, uh, I mean, if you see it more and more, this is opposed to a lot of what you'll hear in common culture. You'll hear a lot of times, instead of being self-controlled and, self, um, and sober-minded, you're going to hear, give in to the passions that you have. The emotions you have are okay. Where Peter instead is saying, no, have control over your body. And instead of feeding your body with, uh, with pills and drugs and alcohol to numb you, he's saying, no, like, be sober-minded. Look at life through a a lens of reality. The second thing he tells us is love one another earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We are not to weaponize the sins that others do to us by holding it against them. We are not to weaponize the sins that others do to us by holding it against them, but instead we're called to cover over those sins just as Christ has done for us. It is good for us to think through 
am I withholding forgiveness from anyone? Is there anyone in my life that I'm withholding forgiveness from? A family member, a spouse, or a friend, a coworker. Can you, can we cover over those things because of the work that Christ has done for us? Thirdly, he tells us, be hospitable without grumbling and complaining. Without grumbling and complaining. Verse 9, if we knew Christ was returning next week, and you had a brother or sister that a brother or sister in Christ that needed a place to stay, wouldn't you do that? And that's what he's saying here. The end is near. Be hospitable with one another. Open up our homes to one another. Are you able to be intentional by serving someone else through texting them, through giving them time, through calling them? We should be give we should be willing to give up our things, our energy, and our homes to others without grumbling or complaining. And my personal favorite, the final one here serve one another with our gifts. We are to serve one another with our gifts. We see that in verse uh, 10 here. So in verses 10, 11, and 12, Peter is pushing us toward serving one another with our gifts. If you are a Christian, you have received a gift, and you are to steward that gift, not for yourself, but for serving one another. The text goes on to say, if you speak, speak as if you're speaking the words of God unto the glory of God. If you serve, serve with the strength that God provides unto the glory of God. I think especially in this season at Ogletown, this is an excellent time for us all as a congregation to lean in and use our gifts to serve one another in this body. I have a very limited view of all that goes on at Ogletown, you know. I just, I don't know everything, so I'm not claiming. But I know there are dozens of volunteers taking care of, and I don't think during this service, but during the, during the 945 hour and the 11 o'clock hour, taking care of children over in Kids Connection and Nursery. They are serving all of us so that we can have uninterrupted time to study God's Word. Those are people who it's not an easy job, are serving one another so that the rest of us can hear God's word and look at God's word. There's a dozen and a half people doing AV so that this sounds clear and the people in the back can hear and these um, slides are set up well. There are deacons meeting on Saturday mornings at 7.30 in the morning so that everything runs smoothly at church. There are 15 plus Sunday Bible study teachers and then a plethora more um, co-teachers leaning in all week long, studying God's word so that they can teach others God's word. There's a welcoming team. There's, there's people in the second service who, I've, I'm sure you've all seen the blue chairs. There is, um, those blue chairs get worn down. There's someone with a gift of repairing those. And without a ministry title, this person goes and picks them up and repairs those and gives them back. Not because they're getting paid or anything. They're doing it to serve one another with the view of God's glory. Someone told me recently, he's like, I have really good skills online and web flow and websites and blah, blah, blah. Let me know if your church ever needs help. I didn't find a use case, but I was like, your mind is in the right place. That's a way to serve one another. Those are just all ways that I can think of. Throughout the week, there's hundreds. All of you, all of us are are serving to text one another, encourage one another, counsel one another during the week, moving 
um, to serve one another with the gifts that we have been given. And I do have a question, it, and I would ask this. If, you, if anyone who's hearing this feels like, I, I don't feel plugged in enough. I, don't, I, I feel like I have gifts, and I'm, I'm not able to serve God's church. I'm not, I'm not, there's a disconnect there. I'm, I, have, I want to serve. There's a desire to serve, but I can't be, meet you there. There are people, and I, I do mean this, there are people here who can help bridge that gap for you. I, I would say most even the people in this room can find a way that you can bridge a gap. But I additionally would add this. I think not only could you talk to me, you could talk to Evan, talk to Kelly, anyone up here on stage and we could find a way. But not only that, but I think praying, asking the Lord, Lord, I desire to increase the faith of my brothers and sisters. I desire to increase the hope and the joy of my brothers and sisters. Help me this week. Help me this week. Give me an opportunity to use my gifts to serve your church. That is a prayer that the Lord will not turn away. That is a prayer that the Lord will show you very clearly. Here's how you can do so. Here's how you can volunteer in this way, or you can send a text or have this person over. So we see here that um, in this final section here, that Peter is able to give very applicable ways, very applicable steps for us to um, to serve one another, love one another in view of the end. In closing, we find this chapter that God is calling us to arm ourselves with the mindset that suffering like Christ can happen to us. We should at least all be willing to suffer like Christ and that we will experience glory when he returns. And additionally, that the end is near for Christ's return and God has given us work to do until he returns. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we are very grateful that we were able to spend some time this morning in studying your word, learning more about you. Would you form in each of us an obedience just like your son, Jesus Christ, an obedience to you even when it hurts? We need your help to be like your son who obeyed. We need your help to do far less than that. And so we ask, Lord, that you would hear our prayers and meet us where we are. Thank you for the joyful reminder that the end is near and that for those who are in Christ, we will be with you soon. Help us to serve one another with the gifts that you have given. We ask all of these things in the great and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.